So we continue with uh, Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 through 12. Paul's prayer. He's praying that we may <clears throat> grow more and more in our fruit bearing. That fruit bearing verse comes from the gospel. The gospel is the power that produces that in us. And he's so thankful, so thankful for Christ's work in this little church, this young church in Colossa. And uh, we're going to see how he, first of all, gives thanks to God. And then second of all, he says, I, I want you to grow more and more and more and more in this, you know, even unto perfection. That's not, that's not, that's not possible in this life, but that's his prayer. So Colossians chapter 1, verses, uh, verses 3 through 12. Someone has a page number. Page 1,352. Okay. We give thanks... So Paul, the we is Paul and Timothy, right? They're on behalf of them. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you as it has also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. As you also learn from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the spirit. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, for all, for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. I think that's two sentences. So it's a, they're, they're very long sentences, but it's so full and packed of, uh, of gospel as we hope to see this morning. So that's also our focus this morning is uh, verses three through 12. And we're going to see it outlined very nicely in here uh, in spite of all the, the little phrases in between full of God's word. But I don't, I don't know about you, but for me, one of the best seasons is the spring. Springtime, the spring season. Uh, you see how the, the barren earth, everything seems kind of dark. and It's like, where's the life? And then you see it budding forth in all its greenness. And that's the season we're in now, the, the, the budding uh, of the season. You see the new life coming forth. You, know, you see the grass turning green, even a deeper green. Maybe it was somewhat green during the winter, but it's a deeper green. You see the leaves coming out of the trees. 
the blossoms beginning to form on the flowers. I mean, it's just the beauty, the life. It just speaks of the life that's coming forth from creation. And you know, I think that's a really good picture of what the gospel does in the lives of people who are born dead in their sins, right, in their trespasses. It's the gospel that has the power to bring to life. And this is what uh, Apostle Paul is so amazed by in Colossae. Colossae, which was a city, you could say, which was given over to Satan. And you see how the gospel is transforming a, a, a people, though small, yet you see it in the lives of the young converts. And you notice, you know, you, you could call this, you could say a new creation bubbling forth or budding forth from the city or in the city of Colossae. And you'll notice that he talks about um, the fruit twice, once in the first part of his prayer, Thanksgiving, and once when he prays for, in the second part, when he prays for them. Notice that he talks about how the gospel, he doesn't even talk about us, but how the gospel brings forth fruit. You see that in verse six. It's bringing forth fruit. We'll see what that fruit is in a moment. But second of all, if you look at verse 10, or is it verse, uh, yeah, verse 10, he talks about at the same time how the believers are being fruitful in every good work. So it's the gospel that brings forth fruit, but at the same time, that gospel in us enables us to bear that good fruit. So that's that's why we that's why the theme is, you know, praying for the gospel to continue to bear fruit and even fuller fruit in our own city, right? In terms of uh, God's work in the congregations. You know, it's Paul, Apostle Paul is so thankful for his helper. His helper was Epaphras. He was a pastor. Uh, he was the one who was probably born. He was probably raised in Colossae. He's the one through whom the Lord uh, raised, you could say, uh, a church in Colossae. And now he gives report of what God is doing in the church of Colossae. And he goes to visit Paul in prison. And Paul is just amazed. Uh, amazed? He's just, uh, that, that sense of that new life coming forth in this, in this uh, city of Colossae. And he just honors the Lord for his dear fellow servant. He calls him a faithful minister of the gospel on their behalf. And so here you see, you know all it takes is a faithful pastor, a faithful preacher, the word of God, and nothing else but the power of the spirit to begin to see new life bud forth among people. It's just that power of the word of God. That's, that's all it takes. Doesn't have to be sensational. Doesn't have to be external in all kinds of glowing ways. Just the simple word, the simple gospel, a person who brings it. And then you see the power of the spirit working through the gospel. And you know that gospel is the only answer, is the only answer to all of people's problems today. More money is never the answer. More health care is, not, is, not, is never the answer. Those things help, but they never, ever will ultimately solve man's problem. Because man's problem is that he's dead 
He's born dead in his sins. He's born spiritually dead, and he needs to be raised to life. And that's, that, that, that's what Christ came to do. And that's the only thing, a change of heart, a change of life. Uh, ultimately, that's what's going to bring change to the culture, a decadent, decaying, dead culture we see around us, a culture of death. It's this word, right, the word of truth. Just this past Wednesday, we were hearing about how, you know, the, the Western civilization, the great loss in Western civilization is truth. And you see the fallout. And so we come with the truth, the truth of the gospel. And so you see this witness, you witness in, in these verses, the new life, that only the gospel, only the Bible, the gospel of Jesus Christ can bring. And you see here Paul giving thanks. And we're going to see the, the fruits that have come forth in this congregation. And he says, but don't let it stop there. Don't get lost to the world around you. That only brings death and hell. Right? But you, you continue. And he, he prays that they may continue to grow and maybe uh, may continue to bear every good fruit. So we see those two things this morning. First of all, he gives thanks to God for what? For the gospel, which is powerful to bring forth fruit. What fruit, if you look at verses 3 through 8, what fruit is it bearing in the lives of the people whom Christ has brought to himself through the gospel? Three things, faith, love, and hope. It's those three words that are the key words here. It brings forth faith, love, and hope. That's the, the fruit of the gospel, which you do not see in the world. You don't see a true faith. Neither do you see a love. The world talks about, oh, love your neighbor. They don't understand what love your neighbor means. That only comes through the gospel, what loving your neighbor truly means. And the hope, we live in a hopeless world. Where's the hope? But this is what you see, that, that, that was those three things, that, those three fruits coming forth in the, in the church of Colossae. And we're going to just look at them, each one of them briefly as Paul continues to give thanks for their faith, hope, and love. Notice here, he first of all gives thanks to God for their faith. Not just faith in anything. People talk about faith. Oh, they believe. But believe in what? Believe in yourself? A lot of people say, yeah, I believe in myself. The power of positive thinking. People believe in this or that. But Paul thanks, thanks God the Father and our Lord, of our Lord Jesus Christ for their faith in Christ. That's true faith. Faith in Christ. They were brought to believe. You know, this, this is an amazing work of the gospel. The gospel brought them to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the risen Son of God, the head of the church, the King and Lord over the whole world, such as his power. They were drawn to Christ just simply through the book, the power of the gospel, right? It's the Holy Spirit uses this to draw people. People say, what, the word? That's, 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 yeah, the word. It's that powerful. And that's what we're, they were brought to faith in Christ. And the beautiful thing about this gospel is the Holy Spirit, first of all, he convicts of sin and he awakens 
our need for something more. He awakens our need to see that we need hope. And then the Holy Spirit leads us to Christ in whom we find the answer to every problem. Having faith in Christ implies we have placed our confidence entirely in the finished work of Christ on the cross. He did all the work for my salvation. I now rest in that, knowing that in Jesus, all my sins are forgiven. That's, that's true faith in Christ. And that God accepts me through faith in him. Or maybe think of this, boys and girls. When you think of faith, F-A-I-T-H, think of the acronym F-A-I-T-H, forsaking all, I trust him. That's the secret to fruit bearing. Begins with faith. Faith itself is a fruit, right? A gift. Second Paul says, yeah, you know, when you have this true faith in Christ, you know what else happens? There's another fruit that comes. Love begins to abound. And he connects the two here. Apostle Paul, he says, I also heard of your love for all the saints. Who are the saints? Well, fellow believers in Jesus Christ. Where there's true faith in Christ, love also abounds. And here the Apostle Paul takes note of the fact that the Colossian church, they were known for their love. What a powerful testimony to a city around them that was so lost, right, in their misery and their complaining and their grumpiness and, you know, no sense of hope whatsoever. Here they were, known for their love for all the saints. Um, as a matter of fact, Paul's so, he's so thankful for it. He mentions it again in verse 8. He just mentions love. He says, he says, Epiphas makes mention to you of your love in the spirit. Not just any kind of love. You know, this love that Paul, so Paul's talking about is agape love. It's a very specific word. It's a fruit of the spirit. It's a love that is uh, not self-centered, right? We'd like people to love us. But here it's a love where we give of ourselves. We sacrifice ourselves. We die to ourselves so that others may experience the love of Christ in us and through us. Right? It's modeled after the love of Christ, right? Where God gave his son on the cross, right? Sacrificing his son. That's how much he loved us. That's the kind of love you could say that was modeled among the saints in uh, Colossae. Uh, Galatians 5 verse 6 talks about how does faith work? Faith works. How does faith work? Faith works through love. Right? The two come together. You can't have one without the other. When you have faith, that faith will work through love for all the saints. And that's very peculiar. It's a gift from heaven. It's a gift of the risen Christ. Third, this faith and love, as Paul says, is why? is because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. You know, when you have no hope, it's hard to love. And where's the faith, right? But the hope that the Apostle Paul talks about here is the hope which is waiting for you, is reserved for you, is reserved for believers. That hope laid for you, he says, in heaven. In heaven. That means... We die, believers die, they're raised with new bodies, bodies will never die again, and that's 
the treasure, the inheritance the Apostle Paul is speaking about here. What is that hope? No doubt. Our sins are forgiven us, and one day we know without a doubt because of Christ's finished work on the cross, we will enter the presence of God, live with him forever, free from all crying and weeping and battles against sin and its effects, living in perfect fellowship with God the Father through Jesus Christ forever and ever. I just love what First Peter uh, 1, verses 3 and 4 says. It talks about this hope being a living hope. It's, it's a hope that lives in believers, right? It's, 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 that's why we can love one another, and, that's, and that stems from faith in Christ. Um, it's a hope that lives in believers. First Peter 1 says it this way, uh, He has begotten us again to a living hope through whom the resurrection of Jesus from the dead to what? To an inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Is there anything on this earth that you can think that will never fade away? This is the promise of Christ. That hope really inspires, you could say, or uh, it strengthens, right? It strengthens our faith in Jesus, and um, it also strengthens our love for the saints. Doesn't mean we don't love others. Oh, yeah, but... That true love, that agape love, that is that is really witnessed within that new creation that Christ is making in the middle of the city. Well, the question is, how did these fruit, love, faith, and hope come about? And that's what we see in verses uh, 6 and 7, before we go to our next point. How did it all come about? It didn't come... It didn't come from within us, right? It came from the gospel at work in us. It, it came from outside of us. Where do we look? Faith is looking outside of us, looking to the Christ, right? And believing the gospel, trusting in him. It came through the gospel. What does Paul say in verse 6, 5 to 6? He says, of which you heard before. He talks about this hope now. He says, you heard about it before. How? In the word of the truth of the gospel, it has come to you as it has in all the world. This is 35 years after Jesus ascended into heaven and is bringing forth fruit. Notice three things about this gospel here. It's very personal. It's very personal. He speaks about it in personal terms. Notice how he speaks of it. It has come to you. We don't come to the gospel we would never come to the gospel unless it first comes to us, unless God first reaches out to us. There's no way that we love God in and of ourselves. We love God, why? First, because he loved us. He reached out to us. He knows we need faith and hope and love. He reached out to us in the gospel. He came to visit you, says Apostle Paul. He came to visit you. How did he come to visit you? Well, in this case, he came to visit her through Epaphras, a pastor. He comes to visit his people today through preachers, evangelists, witnesses. Right? It's a very personal word. That's how faith comes. Faith comes very simply through hearing the Bible. 
That's how the Holy Spirit works. It's very often very quiet, uh, very profound, very powerful. And that leads us to the second part about the word. It's a personal word. It's God talking to us through the Bible. Holy Spirit persuading, right? It's hard to persuade people, but the Holy Spirit does the work of persuading us of the truth. And that's why it's powerful. That's the second part about the gospel here. It's powerful. How powerful is it? That it brings forth, hey, faith, love, hope. It's that powerful. It brings it in you. It's amazing. You know, you see in our world today how Christ continues to work. He, he's the one who turns people away from their fruitless ways, from the ways of idols. Think of Thessalonians. Paul says how God enables you to turn away from those useless things because they do nothing for you. They're not real. It's not the truth. And how he brought you to a living faith. And Jesus Christ. That, that, that's that's the, the nugget of it all. Right? That's just, so the, 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 it's a personal word. It's a powerful word. And it's the truth. You know, people in our culture today don't know the truth. They say you can't know the truth. Uh, think of our universities today. They pursue excellence. But they'll never say they know the truth. No one can know the truth, they say. Um, Mangalwadi this past Wednesday says the greatest loss in Western civilization is the loss of truth. That's the greatest loss that's come to Canada, the United States, and Europe. They were built on the truth and to some to, to, to much extent that is, but you now it's the loss of the truth. Apostle Paul twice talks about how the gospel is the truth. What is truth? Truth is anything that corresponds to reality. And we can know the truth because that's what the gospel is. It's the truth, the only truth, and nothing but the truth. That's the gospel. You know, truth is so powerful that it, that it overthrows the lie. It overthrows falsehood. Um, what does truth do? Jesus says truth sets you free. It liberates you. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's really the good news. It sets us free from the chains of, of what you see from, from the powers of, of Satan, right? Um, and it sets us free to serve Christ. It's the truth. Didn't Jesus say that in John 8, 32? He says, and you shall know the truth. And when you know the truth, it shall set you free. Free as a bird, right? doesn't mean that there's no problems, but the problems will be there. But you know where you stand. You know the truth. You're settled in there, your conviction of it. You know, so you talk about the fruit here, right? The, the Bible has the power to, to uh, bring forth fruit. What did God say to Adam in the very beginning, to man? Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over it. This really goes right back to Genesis chapter 1, right? The call to be fruitful. We know the story, or we know what happened. We failed in our mission. 
because we disobeyed God, we rebelled against him, and you see the works of darkness all around us. And unless the Holy Spirit transforms us through the power of the gospel, the works of darkness are right inside and control the human heart. We did not do what we were supposed to do, but Christ came to do what we didn't do. And he fulfilled whatever we didn't do. He paid for it and he did so through his finished work on the cross. And it's that message of Christ crucified and risen, that is the gospel. It's the gospel itself that brings forth fruit. It's filling the earth, right? Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. Paul talks about that in verse 10. He talks about how it's all over the earth, as it is in also all the world. Christ today, and he's still working in our world today, he's busy, you know, uh, reforming, or you could say taking broken images, right? We're images of God so broken in our sinfulness. And you see it with the confusion of, of gender identity and all this in our culture. There's so much confusion, but that is because we ourselves are sin broken and we need to be renewed. That's what the gospel does. He's busy restoring, fixing re, uh, broken images and he's renewing creation. And what he does when we hear the gospel, it uncovers for us all the treasures, all the treasures of heaven and the good news of forgiveness of sin to those who will listen. You know, those who believe this truth, those who believe this truth and accept it, they are radically changed from the inside out. Light appears. Darkness is chased away. And you know, then life begins to make sense. Think of the parable of the prodigal son. So lost, he came back and everything began to make sense again. Life begins to make sense. There's meaning to life. There's purpose to life. And as we see here in the, in the church of Colossa, the uh, seed of the gospel was producing the fruit of faith, love, and hope in their hearts and in their lives. Think of the parable of the seed, right? The good seed, sorry, the good soil. I should call it the good soil. Remember the fourth kind of soil? Other seed fell on good ground, yielded a crop that sprang up, increased and produced some 30-fold, some 60, some 100-fold. It's filling the earth. So we should not let the, the news of the day make us afraid because there's one who's much greater. He's continuing to triumph through the gospel in this world. Faith rests on Christ. He's the truth. And it bears witness to the truth. You know, so many have not heard this message and the hope that they can find in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul gives thanks. Thanks to God for the work of the gospel in Colossae. But he also prays for them. We see that in verses 9 through 12. Three verses, four verses there. 
He also prays for, he prays to God for certain things because he knows how easy it is for us to stumble. He knows how easy it is for us to stray away from the truth and to start listening to false things. And so he's praying for Colossae here. You know, we talk about the spring season. You see the new life. But over the next few, few weeks, you'll see it even becoming a deeper and richer and fuller in all its colors, right? The blossoms, the leaves becoming fuller, becomes even more attractive. In a certain sense, you can say Paul's praying for the new creation that it will continue to go from bud into flower, that it may just, uh, the, the smell of the gospel may just, well, it will repel some, it will attract others. This is what we want. This is the life we want. And so Paul comes with his request before God. See verse 9? For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, we don't stop praying for you, and we ask. What does he ask for? He asks that you may live a comfortable, wealthy, trouble-free life. No, it doesn't say that there. Right? That's often what we tend to pray for. But Paul knows that they need something far better than that, something far greater than a comfortable, lots of money. No, no. He prays for what? He prays that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. In other words, his first prayer request is that you may fully know, or you can, that you may know God's will. That's his first and biggest request. He prays that their life may be filled with knowing him. And what does that mean, knowing him? It means knowing the Bible, right? From Genesis to Revelation, keeping on reading and hearing and growing. Because we, as we continue to read the Bible, we continue to say, oh, this is what God is saying. Oh, this is what it means to believe in him. I need to obey him. That's what it means to know his will. His will is his um, call to obedience. Right? It's talking about not some future thing, what is his will for me in the future, but just our everyday call to live in obedience to his will, to his word. It's the spirit of God, as we read through the Bible, who helps us to discern, talks about spiritual understanding and wisdom. It helps us to discern, oh, what's happening out there is false. This is the truth. Okay, that's evil. This is good. This is right. That's wrong. Right? That's what it means to have wisdom and spiritual understanding. Be able to discern those things. So important in our day. And uh, so important that we sit down and take the time and talk with our children. Because we live in such a confusing world that you don't know which way to turn your head. You don't know if you're walking upside down or right side up. It's confusing out there. What's truth? What's not truth? And, and no, so important to be sitting down with our children, talking with them, and to train our children to discern. Yeah, what you see out there, son or daughter, it's wrong. Understand that. It's false. It's not true. That's what it means to bear witness. First of all, bearing witness to our children of the truth of the gospel. And that witness comes most powerful when we show the opposite. This is right. This is the truth. That's wrong. That's falsehood. So important. 
teaching the truth. Ephesians 2 reminds us, Ephesians 2 verse 3, very beautiful verse. It, uh, in, it tells us that in Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All, all the wisdom, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in Christ. Wow. There's so much there. That Paul prays that they may come to fully know the will of God. It's, it's a continual pursuing of it. The second thing he prays for is he prays for a life pleasing to the Lord. That you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. So yeah, knowing the will of God is the first thing. And then the second thing that flows from that is knowing how to walk. Not to walk as the world does, but to walk in a way that is pleasing to the Lord. How do we know what's pleasing to the Lord? The Bible tells us. You first of all please him by bearing fruit. That's the first way we please him. You look at verse, verse uh, 10. It's first of all by bearing fruit or being fruitful in every good work. And that means... You know, God's purpose of us knowing him is to live a godly life and to win others to Christ. It's to use our spiritual gifts that God's given us within the body of Christ. That's what's pleasing to him. That's what's glorious to him. That's what makes God smile, you could say. And the second thing is, the second purpose of, um, of being fruitful is that you may grow in your knowledge of his word. That's that's also found again in verse 10. But yeah, so growing in the knowledge of God's word and learning how to walk in a way that's pleasing. Where are we going to get that strength? Because we look at ourselves and we say, man, we blow it again and again and again. We realize, oh, why did I believe this or this? And, and you realize, yeah, our continual need for the grace of God that we may know more and more but what is right? What's pleasing to him? Well, that comes in verse 11. Where do we get the strength? From the power of the risen Lord Jesus. See third, verse 11. He prays for their strength to grow in knowledge and fruitfulness. Strengthened with all might according to his glorious power. That power of the risen Lord Jesus is at work in the lives of believers. He's the one who enables us to continue to grow in knowledge and to walk in his ways. What's the goal of it all? <laughs> it's very practical. The goal of it all, we see in verse 11 and 12. The goal is for your patience and long-suffering and thanksgiving. That is the fruit that Paul ultimately plays for, right? All long-suffering patience. That's the purpose of, you know, knowing how to walk, knowing how, knowing the word of God and having the strength to do that because the Lord wants us, he wants us to be shaped as a people who are long-suffering, patient, and thankful. Thankful means, yeah, that means we learn to not complain and grumble. That's so easy to us, right? But we start seeing things from God's perspective. Verse 11 and 12, unto all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks. You know, long-suffering, another word for that is endurance. God doesn't say serving him will be easy. A joy? 
Yes, because you have the truth, you have the hope. Easy? No, not easy. Lots of battles against sin, lots of temptations, but it means that we're patiently enduring. It means willing to suffer long, enduring suffering for the sake of Christ to the end. There's going to be difficulties. There's going to be suffering. And you have patience, right? Patience is really bearing under pressure. It means being faithful, even when opposition comes, when opposition comes and not running from it. You might say that patience, endurance, and giving thanks are really the quiet effect of faith, love, and hope, right? So patience, endurance, thanks is the quiet result of faith, hope, and love. The church needs us today, and only the gospel can give this. We can't make ourselves be like that. It's something we are dependent upon the Lord. Paul prays. Are we praying for this? For endurance, long-suffering, and thanks? You know what? A, we, we live in a, in a cancel culture today. You know what a cancel culture is? We hear that term a lot, cancel culture. In other words, we live in a culture that wants to cancel everything that they disapprove of. So what do they want to cancel? They want to cancel you. They want to cancel Christianity. That's the culture of Canada. They want to cancel the Bible. They want to cancel the way the Bible tells us to raise our families. They want to cancel male and female. They want to cancel anything that's right. They want to cancel the truth. That's what they want to cancel. They want to cancel the truth. Are we willing to be canceled for the sake of Christ? You know, because the truth will never change. People can vote on it. They can vote 99 to 1, but the truth is still the truth. Nothing can change it. Nothing can change it. Society can't change it. Culture can't change it. And it's foolish for the culture to try to change the truth. Because what they do is they embrace death. That's what culture is doing. But you know, the only canceling that really matters, <laughs> the only canceling that really matters is that our sins are canceled through the finished work of Christ on the cross. That is the cancel we need to talk about. The canceling of our sins through the Christ on the cross. And you know, with that, you know, we have the, 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 the fruit of endurance and patience, whatever we may face. But with it, there is life and blessing. Think of Psalm 1. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that tree brings forth its fruit in season, whose leaf shall not wither, and whatever he does prospers. It's like full out spring. Not easy, but rich, full, powerful. The wicked, the ungodly, Psalm 1 says, are like, traff, are like chaff, which the wind drives away. There's going to be nothing left of it. God's truth will stand. His church will remain for all patience, long-suffering, with joy, giving thanks. 
That's what we need, and this is what the gospel gives. And the outcome is glorious. It goes back to that hope again. You see that hope again? You saw it in verse, uh, verse uh, 6 or verse 5. It comes back again in verse 12. Just remember that hope, Paul's saying. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. Amen. In response, let's sing together 173. 173. A stand on it. Who sees?